Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. My name is Zach, and I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia, called Calvary 316. I do hope you stay with me over the next hour or so as we seek to deconstruct the negative perceptions of Christians by boldly and brashly discussing today's relevant topics in an honest and genuine way. One of the most important aspects of the Outlaw Radio Show is our desire to hear from you, the audience, the listening audience. If you have any questions, ever have any questions, or let's say you want to challenge something that was said on this show, or maybe even beyond that, you want to submit some topics that you would love uh, for us to address and discuss. Literally, there is nothing off limits. There are several ways that you can reach us. Uh, first, if you're old school and you like email, uh, we have an email address. The, the, uh, the email is info at outlawradio.org. If you're into Facebook, if you're one of the billion people on Facebook, uh, our Facebook page, if you just go uh, facebook.com slash the radio outlaw, once again, the radio outlaw, you can find us, like us, follow us. Uh, also, if you're into Twitter, kind of new world in that sense. Uh, Our handle is at radio underscore outlaw. And if you happen to be interested in having your question played live on the air, you can always call me. Uh, The phone number is 678-883-3316. Once again, that's 678-883-3316. Please don't bloviate. Keep your question, your comment pithy. And if you do, we might just play it live uh, on the air. Also want to let you know about our website, which is outlawradio.org. And the reason I point out uh, the website is is really in, in two ways. One, it's the easiest way to get to our podcast. Now, if you're already a podcaster, you're into that type of thing, uh, whether you're on Google Play or you use iTunes, you can go and you can search my name, Zach Adams, Z-A-C-H-A-D-A-M-S, and, uh, and you'll find the Outlaw Radio podcast. You can subscribe. And then instead of uh, going and searching for the audio, the audio will come to you as soon as we post it. I mean, we always post it a few days after uh, the show aired uh, on the local stations. Uh, so you can go to the website, outlawradio.org, and you can find and subscribe to our podcast, uh, which is great. So if you're listening uh, live on the air someplace, uh, you might not be with us the entire episode, and we understand that. Uh, what makes the podcast great is you can listen to as much of it as you can uh, as you're on your way to your grocery store, you're driving down the road, and then uh, and then just go and you can listen to the rest of the episode uh, via the podcast. So it's an easy way. You can listen a little bit while you're in the car on the radio, but then you can go to the podcast. You can not just listen to this episode in its entirety, but virtually everything Outlaw Radio has ever done is on the podcast. Um, And I should say that we have other programming aside from the show. Um, We have two-minute devotionals uh, all about God's grace. So they're two minutes long, and they're all about, they ooze God's grace, all about God's grace. Um, Those are on the podcast. And then also, um, the Sunday service, the service that I teach at Calvary 316, um, gets packaged down uh, for radio as well. And so while I teach for about 50 minutes, uh, that 50-minute Bible study gets gets edited into two, and those 30-minute uh, broadcasts um, are all over the place as well. But you can listen to them as uh, on the uh, on the podcast as well. You can access those along with this is our 20, oh man, 27th, I think, episode of the show. And, and all the previous ones are also archived. So check out the podcast. Go to the website, outlawradio.org. Org. The other reason I would reference the website is you should go to the stations page. 
Uh, we have a page set up that we're trying to keep updated with all the radio stations and their frequencies that are carrying our, our broadcasting. And, uh, and the Lord is doing uh, such a cool work. Uh, Outlaw Radio has existed for a little over a year now, just a year, and the show itself started this past fall. So we're not even six months into it. And God is doing just an amazing thing. And all of those stations, we just want to say thank you uh, so much for you carrying our show, for you taking a flyer uh, on on something that's a bit unconventional for Christian radio, uh, a talk-style show. And uh, and we just want to say thank you to everyone that, that's carrying our shows. And, and we encourage you, if you're listening, contact your local station and uh, and say thank you. If you enjoy what you're listening to, you enjoy Outlaw Radio, uh, call them. You know what? Even if you don't enjoy Outlaw Radio, but you enjoy the other programming on this station, uh, call and just say thanks. Trust me, they would absolutely be giddy uh, when they get feedback from the audience, uh, especially when that feedback isn't negative, uh, but is positive and just a uh, uh, thank you so much for being in our community and doing what you're doing and, uh, and, and preaching God's word. Speaking of God's word, today I want to do something a little differently. Um, I want to begin by looking at a section of scripture, um, and I want to do this uh, with a very specific intention. Uh, so let me just start. Let me read for you a section of scripture. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, Acts chapter 17 describes the Apostle Paul's ministry um, in the ancient city of Thessalonica. And let, let me read it for you. Just bear with me. Uh, we're told, now when they, and this would be Paul and Silas and Timothy, had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. And there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And this is what Paul was preaching. He said, this Jesus whom I preached to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. Now, what makes this section of Scripture so interesting to me is that, um, A, I think it's very relatable in context, but it but it illustrates something that is very countercultural to what we see occurring um, within Christianity at large. Uh these four verses summarize for us Paul's activities in Thessalonica that cover a period of what Luke tells us to be three Sabbaths. That's three Saturdays, basically a month. And it's important to point out from the text that Paul's audience included two groups of people. So he goes into the synagogue and there are two groups of people present. There were religious Jews, as well as we're told devout Greeks. These were Gentile proselytes of Judaism. And that detail is significant because really, and then this twist of irony, Paul's audience may have very well come straight out of the Bible Belt. Now, I know a lot of you are not in the Bible Belt, but let, let me explain what that means. You see, Paul here in Thessalonica is seeking to win to Christ a group of people that are both biblically knowledgeable as well as spiritually inclined. Now, the, the, the tragedy is that their entire religious structure was based on a faulty understanding as to the nature of salvation itself. Paul's crowd, they believed that they could be saved either through intellectual belief, like I believe in God, or because of family heritage. You know, I come from a good Christian family, or that they were saved going to heaven through their good deeds, like I'm a good person. Bible Belt, for me, it's a Southerner. 
But notice what Paul's specific goal is. The text tells us that his desire was to convince this group of religiously minded Thessalonians that one, the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. So Paul is trying to explain that the Messiah, the Savior, that there's a few things that would have to happen. He would have to suffer, he'd have to die, and then he'd have to be resurrected. And then secondly, Paul explains that this Jesus, this man Jesus, whom he's preaching, or literally he's heralding, was this Christ. So these are Paul's specific goals, present some theology about the Messiah, and then explain that Jesus was the Messiah. And he's doing this to people that are biblically knowledgeable and spiritually inclined. Now, I say that to set the stage here, Because this detail is important for every legitimate church, every legitimate church, and let's be fair, let's be honest, shares this fundamental objective. Like, I don't know any church that doesn't want to see people, those who are lost, found, to see people come into a saving faith in Jesus. I think every church shares that objective. And yet, the truth, if we could be honest, is not every church actually agrees on what the most effective way to accomplish that particular goal. For example, where I'm from here, just outside of Athens, but also outside of Atlanta, but most of the largest evangelical churches in our area, desiring to see people get saved, employ what is known as a seeker-friendly model when it comes to evangelism. So on on Sunday morning, instead of teaching God's word so that Christians can grow in their faith and then go out and evangelize the lost world, fulfilling the Great Commission, these churches focus on Sunday morning, not preaching to Christians, but reaching unbelievers in a very tactful way. Like you may even have heard these ministries that they tout themselves as literally being church for the unchurched. So these churches don't teach the Bible. They don't go through books of the Bible. There's no exposition. There's no real solid Bible teaching. You might get a nugget, a verse here or there, but you would go to these churches and very rarely open the scriptures. And they do that with intention. First, they're wanting to see people get saved. So they downplay God's word by employing other type of antidotes, church for the unchurched, which I want to point out, historically is a really new development within Christianity. The idea of church for the unchurched is a totally different idea. And I want to say this morning that I think first, okay, I hate the term seeker friendly, the seeker friendly model, because it implies that if you don't, if you don't adhere to that particular ministry model of church, that way of doing church, that you're not friendly to the seeker, (laughs) as if you've cornered the market. See, I think the Bible tells us that the best way to reach the seeker is actually the same way you equip the saints, and that is through the teaching of God's word. The idea of church for the unchurch is a bizarre thing. Historically, it's a new development. Now, now to kind of illustrate this point, to illustrate this point, you know, it's amazing to me that over the last decade or so, There has been a staple of church life. It's the staple of the church building, a staple of of the church community, of the church service. There has been a staple in the last decade or so, 15 years, that's largely totally vanished. Like, 
bear with me here. Think about it. Yes, there is no reference of a pulpit in Scripture. Like, there's no biblical passage talking about a pulpit and its importance and its role, its functionality, etc. But it really is interesting to consider the pulpit's origin and evolution since the days of the Reformation. Consider that, that during the 1500s and 1600s, so there, there was a period uh, really beginning around 300 AD up to the Reformation where the church by and large abandoned the teaching of God's word. Like, like the sermons were in a language that the people didn't understand. The Bible was in a language that the people couldn't read. For a thousand years, the church was not Bible-centric in any capacity. Ironically, we also call that that period of, of, of world history the Dark Ages. We removed the truth, <laughs> and the world entered the darkness. And yet, during the 15 and 1600s, you had the Reformation. And one of the, the hallmarks to the Reformation was that the Bible was being translated into common languages. It was being distributed for mass consumption. The language of the people. People started teaching the Bible. Exposition reemerged. One scholar said this, quote, The Reformation led not only to a renewed emphasis upon the sermon, but to the repositioning of the pulpit as the center of the sanctuary. Church historians actually believe this took place for, quote, the central position of a fixed pulpit suggested theological prominence of the preaching of God's word within the church. The pulpit grew to, quote, symbolize the Reformation's emphasis on the the centrality of God's word, which, ironically, explains that if you if you see any pictures of these Reformation churches, the Reformers were known to have the pulpit perched up real high above the audience. You had to like take a stairwell to get up to the pulpit itself. It was perched high above the audience, which did something particular and important and intentional. It, it elevated both the man as well as his message. And so within the Reformation, God's word was very important. It was the center, and so was the pulpit. But something has happened since the years that followed. Don't go anywhere. Come right back. We'll pick up that thought here on the Outlaw Radio Show. Hi, my name is David Guzik, and I'm a friend of Zach and the entire team at Outlaw Radio. One of the things I like most about Outlaw Radio is Zach's desire to challenge Christians to think critically, ask relevant questions, and then pursue answers on their own. The sad reality is too many Christians don't know what they believe, yet alone why they believe what they do. This is why, in addition to Outlaw Radio tackling the tough topics you might not hear at church on Sundays, their desire is to equip, inspire, and challenge you to dig into God's Word and wrestle with these complex topics on your own. To help you in this process, Zach wanted me to let you all know of two free resources essential for any serious Bible student. Aside from my full Bible commentary available at EnduringWord.com, the resources you can access at BlueLetterBible.org will truly transform the way you study the Bible. Aside from their treasure trove of free commentaries, BlueLetterBible.org also has an incredible word search function, making it easy to dive into the original languages behind a biblical text. So if you want to dig deeper into your study of Scripture, 
check out EnduringWord.com as well as BlueLetterBible.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. In our previous block, we kind of left things off uh, with, with a bit of a cliffhanger, the middle of a story. The pulpit. It's an amazing thing to study the origins of the pulpit and its evolution since the days of the Reformation. During the Reformation, there was a return to the study of God's Word. The Word of God became central to the life of the church, not just for the development of Christians, but for evangelism. Things began and continued and ended with God's Word, and as a result, the pulpit reflected this attitude. The pulpit for the Reformers during the 15 and 1600s was perched up high above the audience, which elevated both the man and his message. Now, since then, over the the years that followed, Protestant churches have continued this long-standing tradition of having the pulpit as the central focal point of the sanctuary. So it's always remained focal, but the, the pulpit itself kind of did undergo some reformations of its own in the years that followed. Consider this, that during the 1800s, there was a shift. There was an, an evolution to the pulpit. The pulpit still was very ornate, still very gaudy and catchy and central, but it moved. The pulpit moved from its high perch that it enjoyed during the, the years of the Reformation down to eye level. So it was structurally the same thing, but it moved down to eye level with the people. It still maintained the elevation of the message, but moving it to eye level did something significant. It, it, its new position fostered a relatability of the man behind the pulpit. So the message was still elevated, but the man, no longer being elevated, was to be relatable. And over the next hundred years, in order to de-emphasize the decadence that the church had been known for and had this greater appeal to the common man, what happened? This pulpit that moved from its perch down to eye level over time grew in its simplicity, its functionality. During the 1980s and 1990s, as the church facility began to modernize, so did the pulpit. During the, the, the early 1900s, you know, if you go back, if you Google pictures of Billy Graham, you know, you've got this big wooden box or Pastor Chuck Smith, this big, big pulpits, right? Big wooden, solid pulpits. You can imagine the days of the Reformation, these pulpits being elevated up high above the audience. Well, during the 80s and the 90s, churches are modernizing, a lot of things are happening, and so, so did the pulpit. If you start Googling, you'll see that instead of the traditional wood look, pulpits over this 10, 20 years began to take on all different types of shapes and sizes. Pulpits, you know, you had metals instead of wood and glass and plastics and various technologies end up being incorporated into the overall design of the pulpit. Now, this sets the stage for what I want to talk about. You see, as the United States plunged into a new millennia and society continued this shift from modernism to postmodernism, do you realize that the pulpit itself experienced probably the most dramatic transformation it had ever experienced? With specifically the rise of seeker-friendly models of doing church, which, let's be real, produced corporate megachurches. 
It was during the 2000s that Christianity, well, a shift occurred. You see, during the 2000s, Christianity began to see the worship experience become the primary emphasis of the church service over the teaching of God's word. Whereas during the Reformation and leading up to this point, it was God's word and then the worship experience. The worship experience vaulted over the teaching of God's word. The truth is that in this this postmodern culture, spiritual experience instead of the proclamation of truth, was just seen as more marketable. You had to get the pulpit out of the way of of whom? The worship team. And almost overnight, something fascinating occurred. The pulpit. The very thing that had been a staple of the church since the Reformation seemingly vanished. It disappeared. Have, Have you noticed that many churches today no longer have a pulpit? And that's, that's, that's happened in the last like 10, 15 years. And, and instead, the pulpit has been replaced with a high top table or a bar stool or nothing. Now, now, don't get me wrong and don't take this to an extreme. I'm not saying that all pastors whose pulpits now reside in church storage have done so because of the incursion of postmodern appeal and influence. But it's undeniable that the symbolism of seeing the pulpit central Seeing the pulpit removed has historical significance. And in all honesty, from my perspective, is representative of a larger trend taking place within the church at large. I mean, think about it. Why should a church have as the focal point of their stage the very item that represented the theological prominence of the preaching of God's word when the preaching of God's word is no longer the preeminent mechanism for evangelism. It's not illogical. In his book, The Priority of Biblical Preaching, author Stephen Lawson, he summed up this new and interesting trend, commenting that, quote, a new way of doing church is emerging. In this radical paradigm shift, exposition is being replaced with entertainment preaching with performances, doctrine with drama, and theology with theatrics. The pulpit, once the focal point of the church, is now being overshadowed by a variety of church growth techniques. Everything from trendy worship styles to glitzy presentations to vaudeville-like pageantries. In seeking to capture the upper hand in church growth, a new wave of pastors is reinventing church and repackaging the gospel into a product to be sold to consumers. Whatever reportedly works in one church is now being franchised out to various markets abroad. In discussing how he seeks to move a diverse group of people in a common direction, Pastor Andy Stanley, and if you don't know Andy Stanley, he's the son of Charles Stanley, which is First Baptist Atlanta. Andy Stanley pastors North Point Community Church, one of the largest, fastest-growing churches in America. But, but Andy Stanley recently explained why his ministry, why their church service, does not emphasize the teaching of the Bible during Sunday services. This is what he, this is what he said, quote, It is often effective to leverage common experiences and emotions without assuming a common belief system. We don't begin with theology and beliefs. We begin with what we have in common. 
fears, joys, challenges, and a need for love. And that draws people in. We want to move people physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. We want to take them from where they are to the place where we think God wants them to be. You know, it's, it's not an accident that most of the flyers that these type of churches mail out to the community, most of the flyers that you get in your mailbox, you know, they rarely advertise biblical exposition. Like very rarely will you get a flyer in the mail that's like, come to Calvary 316 for a hearty year and a half study through the gospel of John, 50 minutes a Sunday. Like (laughs) put on your thinking cap. We're going to look at it all. Like, like you're not going to get, like instead, what do you get? You tend to get uh, a flyer where you're invited to come to church to learn about God through the movies. Seriously, that, that that's a thing. I've gotten that, that flyer in my mailbox. Or come for this four-week study on parenting. Or 10 tips for financial freedom. Never is it to advertise, hey, we're going to study the Bible. And let the Bible says what it does. Now, once again, another caveat. I, I, I really don't, and, and please understand what I'm saying. I, like, I don't question the desire of men like Andy Stanley to reach the lost for Jesus. Like, not only do I think that that would be wrong, but personally, I think that these churches, seeker-friendly churches, I think that they're sincere in their pursuit. And yet, the fundamental problem with such an approach is that not only will you be hard-pressed to find an example where the church existed for such a purpose, being church for the unchurched, but here's the kicker. As a method of evangelism, this model is completely and totally unbiblical. Think back to the passage that we read in in Acts 17. Paul is seeking to reach a group of religious people, religiously minded, biblically knowledgeable, spiritually inclined. His purpose is for them to, well, do what we all want. Have these folks recognize that Jesus was the basis of their salvation, that he was their savior and not their religious beliefs or their heritage or their works. But notice how Paul seeks to accomplish this aim. His methodology is entirely scripture centric. Like we see this with Jesus over and over and over again. And we see this as a precedent established in the book of Acts, but the Bible was Paul's fundamental tool for evangelism. And this is what I think the seeker-friendly movement gets, gets gets wrong and overlooks. Not only is the Bible central to the development of Christians who are attending your church, but it's the best tool we have for evangelism. Like, I'm not gonna get into all the details here, but Paul, according to our text, used scripture to first reason with them. He mingled thought with thought. He had a dialogue, conversational evangelism. And then Paul used scripture to explain to them, or better better translated, opening. Same thing that Jesus did. In Luke 24, 32, the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they said, did not our hearts burn within us while Jesus talked with us on the road and when he opened the scriptures? And then a few verses later, we're told that Jesus appears to the apostles and he opened their understanding that they may comprehend the scriptures. Paul reasoned with them and he explained to them and then he demonstrated for them that Jesus was the Christ. He used scripture. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on the Outlaw Radio Show. The pastors of America have metamorphosed into a company of shopkeepers and the shops they keep are churches. This is a quote from Eugene Peterson and something Zach's kind of alluding to in today's edition of Outlaw Radio. Of course, we know Zach isn't saying this about every church in America, 
But could some churches resemble this statement? Come back in a moment for part two of the Outlaw Radio Show. What's the best way to evangelize? Is it the seeker-friendly model or Bible exposition? Here's Pastor Zach with more. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're talking about the best way for evangelism. And the irony is that the seeker-friendly model has it totally wrong. As a matter of fact, it's, it's frankly unbiblical. You're not going to A, find a precedent in Scripture for church being for the unchurched. But over and over and over again, you're going to find that the best tool we have for evangelism for seeing people come to know Jesus, is the Bible. This is what Paul used. In Acts 17, we're told that Paul used Scripture to reason with his audience and to explain to them and then to demonstrate for them. Here's the deal. Paul saw Scripture as being the most effective way to reveal Jesus. And think about it. John chapter 1, the apostle declares for us that in the beginning was what? The Word. And then later on, he says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. If you want to know Jesus... Get to know his word. Use his word. You know, Paul, for three weeks, gathers with these Thessalonians, and he uses the scriptures to reason and to explain and to demonstrate that Jesus was actually the long-awaited Savior of the world. But Paul's methodology for reaching this lost but religious culture ran counterintuitive to the modern seeker-friendly approach. Instead of Andy Stanley, quote, leveraging common experiences and emotions without assuming a common belief system or seeking to, quote, draw in his audience by appealing to a common uh, fears or joys or challenges or a need for love, what did Paul do? Paul specifically focuses on Christian theology and biblical doctrine, believing that by first correcting their misguided belief system, the framework could be established by which they would reject the religious basis for salvation and accept Jesus as their Savior. You know, it's been said, and it's so true, that the best way to contrast the lie of this world is to present the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But we get to know Jesus through his word, which contains the truth. If you want to evangelize, you want to present Jesus, present God's word. You know, the, tr- the reality And this is one of the reasons that the seeker-friendly movement doesn't teach the Bible. And that's the fact that while Paul's arguments were hard to discredit, there was a mixed reaction to the message. According to Acts 17, some of the Jews were persuaded, but a great multitude of the Greeks joined Paul and Silas, which leads to a point we can't overlook. Please understand, teaching the Bible, especially in a religious culture, polarized Paul's audience. Luke says a great multitude of the Greeks joined them, which subsequently means a great multitude of the Jews chose not to, which leads to a point that needs to be made. A Bible-centric ministry model will not appeal to everyone. You have to embrace that. As a matter of fact, in this instance, in Acts 17, the Word of God actually only served to parse the crowd, which revealed each group's inner intentions. Like Based upon their reaction to the preaching of God's word. The Greeks were pers- were revealed to be genuine seekers, but the Jews, nothing more than religious pretenders. You see, the reality is one of the main reasons seeker-friendly churches avoid teaching the Bible is that it doesn't appeal to everyone. It's not a big tent approach. Like as we see illustrated in Acts 17, teaching the Bible 
yields one of two reactions. Understand, teaching the Bible either forces a person out of their religious comfort or it forces that person out of your church. Like God's word, we're told in in Hebrews 4.12, is living, it's alive, and it's powerful. And what does it do? Well, we're told that it's sharper than any two-edged sword with the ability to pierce even to the division of one's soul and spirit and joints and marrow, that the word of God as the sword is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The reason that this is the case, that the audience gets parsed, is that for the seeker or the unchurched teaching the Bible, well, it's brutally honest to this person, and in many ways it's demanding. You see, when you teach the Bible to a seeker or someone that's not a Christian, it tells them that apart from a saving relationship with Jesus, you're lost in your sins, you're not okay, you're alienated from God, and and you're going to go to hell as a consequence. You see, the presentation of truth will very likely offend a person who's comfortable in their sin. Let me say it this way. The Bible does not ease people in. It calls people out. The Bible doesn't placate to your situation. It calls you to account. The Bible condemns both religious moralism and worldly relativism alike. The Bible. It tells the seeker, yes, God loves you just the way that you are, but the Bible is also radically honest that God's plan for you is not to leave you that way. You see, God's desire for the seeker is that you repent of your rebellious lifestyle, that you die to whatever you are, and that you allow Jesus to transform you more into the image and likeness of his son, of of, of himself. You see, the Bible says unequivocally, you're not okay. And it's God's love. It doesn't accept your brokenness. God's love seeks to provide healingness for that brokenness. You see, if we're going to be honest, we're, we're willing to admit that the Bible does not present a populist message. The Bible, which is why so many don't use it in today's Christian world, the Bible can't be packaged for the masses. And why? Well, because the truth really is offensive and divisive. You know, the falsehood can be inclusive because it's all false, but the truth stands alone by itself. It says, I'm right and you're wrong. This is what's true, and that's what's false. You see, in in many ways, the message of the Bible is not friendly. (laughs) Shocker. It's not friendly. Instead, the Bible forces a seeker to either respond and accept Jesus, or it gives them the justification to get upset, to call you names, and leave. Which, once again, which is why the seeker-friendly model tends to avoid difficult truths in order to appeal to a larger audience. Under the what to expect section of a seeker-friendly church's website in our community, this is what you'll read. Quote, we believe God calls us to pursue him just as we are, inside and out, so we nurture a casual, fun, inviting atmosphere. As our guest, you can check out our services without intrusion and begin your spiritual journey at your own pace. No pressure, just encouragement. Now, That sounds great, but what's completely overlooked by this statement is that by definition, one can never pursue God without the initial act of repentance. You see, while these churches, seeker churches, find themselves overflowing on Sunday morning, I'm convinced there is an unintended consequence to this ministry model. 
You see, there is a huge segment of our population who want church to satisfy a compulsion to feel spiritual without the actual challenge to be spiritual. Because most people are religiously inclined, like these Thessalonians, but they're pagan in practice. We'd call them Sunday Christians. Do you realize that attending a church that targets the unbeliever, seeker-friendly, it has the perfect appeal? You see, church design for the unchurched fosters the perfect environment for a lukewarm Christian or a Christian in name only to not just exist, but to thrive unchallenged. You see, a seeker-friendly church allows this person to satisfy a cultural compulsion to feel like a good Christian by giving them stimulating worship and entertaining programming and helpful antidotes and service opportunities. That list goes on and on, but it never forces that person to face the weightier matters of what it really means to be a Christian. You can feel like a good Christian without understanding what it means to be one. See, only teaching the Bible will accomplish that what it means to be a real Christian, you've got, to, you've got to discuss topics like sin and repentance and judgment and persecution, what it means to be holy. You see, at Calvary 316, our primary focus of our Sunday service is not creating a comfortable environment for the unchurched to not feel threatened. Our focus is instead on the development of healthy Christians living genuine lives transformed by Jesus by faithfully teaching his word. But the reality is that the person that gravitates to the seeker church experience is not going to find Calvary 316 appealing. And on all honesty, I'm okay with that. Like, I'm not fearful of the seeker church moving in next door because we're not going to appeal to the same crowd. The people who gravitate their direction would not find our pews comfortable. But the reality is, is our church, who we appeal to, see right through this facade and they're longing for something more than this. We appeal to, to Christians who are serious about their faith or who've given up on church. Or we also appeal, and this is the kicker, to the seeker who is looking for the truth. And that is something seeker-friendly churches have all but overlooked. One of the missions of Outlaw Radio is to bring your attention to ministry resources that will benefit your personal study of the Bible and spiritual growth. With this in mind, we want you to check out Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Not only is their vision to help the thinker believe, but they exist to help the believer think. To accomplish both of these aims, their website, rzim.org, is filled with tons of free resources aimed at not only answering your own difficult questions, but with the intention of providing the necessary tools to defend your faith in an ever-growing hostile world. Once again, you can learn more about Ravi Zacharias International Ministries by visiting rzim.org. That's rzim.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're talking about really what the seeker-friendly church model gets wrong. And what they get wrong is that the Bible says that the most powerful way to evangelize the lost world is by teaching the Bible. And yet seeker-friendly churches avoid teaching the Bible to reach the lost world. And it's counterintuitive, it's not biblical, and it's not you don't find a precedent for it in Scripture. And this is illustrated, this trend is illustrated with the pulpit being removed as the focal point of these churches. The pulpit has been replaced with a bar stool or a tabletop or nothing. It's decentralized, the pulpit, you know, because it's in the way of the worship team. The worship experience is more marketable to a postmodern culture based on experience, feeling, 
versus the presentation of truth. Now, most seeker-friendly churches where this trend really began was through Willow Creek. It tends to be known as the Willow Creek style of ministry. Now, what makes that totally ironic is that Willow Creek Community Church conducted a few years back a three-year study. They hired an outside firm to conduct a three-year study to, quote, find a way to measure spiritual growth and to see whether the church was accomplishing its mission of facilitating that growth. Now, what blows my mind Not only that they did this study, like wanting to actually quantify, are we being successful? Is the seeker-friendly model successful? Are we doing what we think we're doing? Not only is it mind-blowing that they, they paid to do this, but then they actually published the report. It's actually titled Reveal. You can find it on Amazon. You can order your own copy. I have a copy. But the report that they they published absolutely challenged the entire seeker-friendly model of ministry. They reported it. The report states, quote, listen to this. We've learned that the most effective strategy for moving people forward in their journey of faith (laughs) is biblical engagement. Our study revealed that churches that are successful in procuring or producing genuine spiritual growth in the lives of their people embed the Bible in everything. These churches breathe scripture, hands down, no contest. When it comes to spiritual growth, nothing beats the Bible. You know, going back to Acts chapter 17, if you continue reading the story, you're going to find this incredible accusation of the Apostle Paul. They accuse Paul, there's a mob, and they accuse him of turning the world upside down. And you know, I'm afraid that one of the reasons that today's American church is failing to influence our society is that in our attempts to appeal to culture, we have forgotten that Jesus instituted the church to be set apart from culture. You know, there's a difference, right? Between a church seeking to appeal to culture as opposed to a church that's just wanting to remain relevant. Modernizing facilities, creating a contemporary aesthetic, employing creative graphics, multimedia, new styles of worship music to remain relevant with culture is not a bad thing. (laughs) Heaven forbid the church should ever seem antiquated because we're heavenly. However, the problem is that all too often, in order to, quote, appeal to culture, the seeker church ends up employing techniques aimed at appeasing culture. You know, appeasement is defined as the diplomatic policy of making concessions to an enemy power in order to avoid conflict. You see, instead of letting truth speak for itself by faithfully teaching the Bible, letting the Bible do what it does, And the pursuit of being, quote, friendly with the lost world around us, many pastors neuter the message, hoping to make the gospel of Jesus more attractive, pleasing, interesting, and enjoyable in the process. But that's not their job. And here's the problem. Not only does appeasement by definition fail to enact any type of lasting change, but you know, history has zero respect for appeasers. I'll give you one example. You're never going to find an apologist for the way Neville Chamberlain approached the growing threats of Nazism. Like, wow, you know, his approach to Hitler really worked. It paid off. We had World War II. The church, my friend, would be wise to remember that it's rebellion, not appeasement, that's the only way to actively change culture. Now, now, whether or not you agree with their impact, you can't escape the reality that revolutionaries are remembered specifically because their actions against the status quo were paramount 
and changing the status quo. You know, Paul. Paul had no interest in appeal, and he was far from an appeaser. Paul was a revolutionary, publicly known to be turning the world upside down. And how did he do this? He contrasted the lie with the truth. He shined the light into the eye of darkness. He was bold and brazen and unafraid and tenacious. Paul spoke the word of God with conviction, and he was polarizing. Paul's actions were directly responsible for dividing communities. Paul raged against the machine, man. He created enemies wherever he went. He ticked off the religious establishment. He was on a first-day basis with local authorities, even spending nights in jail. Paul came to a town, and he heralded the truth unapologetically. And he so impacted that society that guess what happened? People were saved. People gave their lives to Jesus. People repented of sin, came into the light, were saved from the clutches of hell. Churches were born in those communities, and also a violent mob was spawned. And that was success. You know, in conclusion, I want to say, life. Life is about submission and rebellion. Like th- these two things, submission and rebellion, are central to the human sp- hu- human spirit, and because of that, what you rebel against always determine what you'll live in submission to. If you rebel against God, you know the truth: you'll live as a servant to this world. You're not a rebel; you're a serf. You're a pawn. But if you submit to God, you're going to rebel against this world. That, that's just a natural and unavoidable outcome. And in the process of that, some people are going to be offended. What you rebel against determines what you live in submission to, and what you live in submission to determines what you rebel against. As I've mentioned, the church of Jesus Christ, the church in your community, the church that you go to should be seen as the most dangerous institution on the planet. It should be a rebel church. Years ago, my dad went to visit a church in another community miles away. He had heard things about what God was doing there. He got lost, which is not a surprise if you know my dad. And he pulled into this gas station and he asked the guy, said, hey, where's this church? And the guy was like, why do you want to know? Well, I want to go attend the service. No, you don't. Well, why is that? Because that place is dangerous. How so? Because, man, I've had buddies that go into there and, and they come back totally different people. What an accusation. You know, that church teaches God's word. Shock rocker Alice Cooper, who most interestingly became a follower of Jesus after making a name for himself, this is a radical observation he made. Quote, drinking beer is easy. Trashing your hotel room is easy. But being a Christian, that's a tough call. That's real rebellion. And I agree. There are two things I want you to consider as we tie this all together. One, figure out who you want to serve. This world or Jesus? And then rebel against the other. And two, once you've figured that out, may I suggest you pick your church accordingly. Do you want to be a part of a church of rebels, of outlaws, a church that cares about the word of God, knowing that it reveals Jesus and it's what transforms hearts, that it changes the world? Do you want to be a part of a church 
that unashamedly proclaims the truth of God without fear of reprisal or whether or not it will draw large crowds because it's Jesus who adds and subtracts and multiplies? Or would you rather support a culture of appeasement, a church of appeasement, because it allows you to feel good without the challenge to actually be holy? I want to be part of a church, a rebel church, an outlaw church that's filled with men and women more interested in turning the world upside down than creating a safe space where people can feel comfortable and complacent. Well, listen, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. As mentioned, my name is Zach Adams. And if you liked what you heard, if you liked today's episode, I just want to encourage you here with the final minute or so that we have left to do two things. One, please contact your local station and tell them you're thankful for carrying Outlaw Radio in your community. Please do that. Secondly, visit our website, which is outlawradio.org. And I encourage you to do that because from the site, you can easily access our podcast. It's available on iTunes and Google Play. You can listen again to this episode, all previous episodes, or this is what you can do. And this is what I would ask. If this struck a chord with you, go to the podcast, find the audio, and share it to your social community. Share it with your pastor. Share it with your little local world. Pass the word about Outlaw Radio. You can do this. You can connect with us via Twitter, which is at radio underscore outlaw. Um, You can send me an email and info at outlawradio.org. Or you can follow us. If you're into Facebook, follow us at facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. Once again, I'm Zach Adams, and I hope you join me again this time next week for the Outlaw Radio Show. been listening to the one and only outlaw radio show with zach adams as mentioned if you like what you heard be sure to connect with us on facebook follow us on twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org to listen again to today's show access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes check out the outlaw radio podcast available on both itunes and google play Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams.
Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions. 